Good morning. Um, I, thank you. <laughs> I, have, I, I have the privilege of, of preaching uh, God's Word this morning. And, uh, you know, it's things, sometimes things just sort of line up in an order of worship. And, you know, the, I didn't know this, but our confession of faith this week really speaks to the heart of what we're going to be talking about today. God's kingdom coming. Uh, God's kingdom coming in the person of Jesus Christ. And we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, uh, verses 46 through 56, if you want to go ahead and turn there, um, or it's printed for you in your bulletin as well, too. And part of, part of what we want to ask as we walk away from, from this passage is, because um, this passage is all about the promises of God bringing his kingdom to come. And so we kind of want to ask ourselves as we approach this test, do we really believe in the promises of God? Are we really holding fast and holding true to the promises of God? And, and to give, you, to give us ourselves a little bit of context here, um, this, uh, this text is, is known as Mary's Song, or also the Magnificat, as well too from the, the very first line, my soul magnifies uh, the Lord. And it's one of three songs in Luke's Gospel. Um, and in this particular context, what we've, what's been seen first is that uh, an angel's come to Zechariah and he's told him of this promise of a son that he's going to have. And Zechariah doesn't exactly, he doesn't act exactly respond in belief. And so God, you know, essentially makes him mute and probably deaf as well too. And, um, and then we have Mary coming along. And an angel comes to Mary and she tells him, of, of what God is going to do through her. That God is going to bring the Messiah through her. And Mary's kind of being set in opposition to Zechariah. Her response is a response of, of belief, of really believing in the promises of God, believing in what God is telling her that he's going to do. And that's kind of the context of what we have here. And so this is Mary's response to that. Um, and so if you would, uh, I'm going to read along if you'll follow in your Bibles or... Uh, It's also printed for you there in your bulletin. Uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 56. Uh, This is the word of the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that is spoken in your word. We thank you for the blessings that come uh, from your word. Um, Oftentimes, Lord, your word cuts us to the heart too. It it convicts us um, of our own sin. Lord, And we thank you for that as well too. Um, Father, we pray that we would be blessed um, by your word this morning. Lord, that it would... Uh, cut us to the heart where we need to be cut to the heart. Lord, but your word is also uh, a comforting thing too. And we pray that 
it would also give us comfort where we need to be comforted as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever had something happen to you that it, you just, you couldn't, you couldn't contain yourself? Like you, you had to go and tell something, t- tell someone. Something so great that happened to you that you just couldn't keep it to yourself. You had to go and tell somebody. Um, I can think of a few instances in, in, in my own life where this has been the case. To be honest with you, not a whole ton, but one, one thing that I can think of uh, happened to me about six years ago. And I'm going to get a little sappy on you here for a second. Um, when I met my, my future wife, Carrie. Uh, Carrie and I met after college. And most of you probably know that oftentimes you, you generally tend to meet your spouse when you're in college. Well, I was already out of college. And, uh, and, and I thought, well, Lord, am I just going to be a bachelor for the rest of my life? Um, and I'd actually kind of even come to the point to saying, God, if you want me to be single the rest, the rest of my life, then... Uh, you're going to have to make me okay with that. Um, and uh, I was not okay with that. And the Lord's response was a resounding, no, I don't want you to be. Uh, and that's not to say that there aren't some folks that are called to that. Um, but for me, I, I met my wife, and um, I almost knew immediately. We, we knew within about seven or eight weeks of knowing each other that this, that this was something more than just your average friendship, that this was going to be something that was greater. And I couldn't really contain myself. I called, I called all of my family, all of my friends and everything, and uh, I call, called my mom, which she was very happy to hear because she had pretty much conceded that I was going to be a bachelor too. <laughs> um, and so it was wonderful news, and I couldn't just hold that news to myself. I, I had to let that news out. I had to say something. Well, in Mary's case, it's a little bit different. You see, she's been told that she's going to be the one who's going to bear the Son of God. She is the one who's going to birth the Messiah. The one who is going to come and save his people and redeem them. And we have her response. She couldn't keep that contained inside of herself. And she writes this beautiful hymn. It's a song, is what it is. And we have her response here for us, and it's out of the overflow of the goodness of what's happened to her, what God is doing in her life. And these are the words that are recorded for us. And we actually see a striking resemblance to our call to worship here from 1 Samuel chapter 2. It, this song is very similar to that song. And in Samuel's case, well not Samuel's case, but in Hannah's case, she's being told that, that her son is going to be a prophet, that God is not going to leave his people unto themselves. He's going to bring them a king. And in Mary's case, she's being told that God is not going to leave his people unto themselves. He's bringing a king. And a king greater than any other king that there's been. A a son of David, even. Which, to the people of God at that point in time, was a huge thing. Because David was as best as, as anyone could remember in Israel. That was the pinnacle of the people of God. And Mary's being told... There's someone who's coming who's greater than that. There's someone who's coming who's greater than that. And so Mary, what she does, she writes this song. And this song is kind of broken up into, into three, different, <clears throat> three different areas. And th- this is what we're going to be talking about today. The first thing we see is that Mary praises God for the work that, that he's done in her life as an individual. And then we see that Mary praises God for the work 
that He's done in the lives of those who fear Him. And we also see that Mary praises God for the work that He's done in the life of Israel. And all of these things, what they should lead us to do is to have the same response that Mary has. is to believe in the promises of God. And that's what we're being called to do in this passage. But first, let's, let's look at Mary's praise for God's work in her own life. And this is going to be verses 46 through 49, and we'll just kind of read back through it here. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. When I, first li- when I first looked at this, at, at this passage, there wasn't necessarily anything in particular that jumped out at me about this until I started to look a little bit deeper and actually tap back into, uh, you know, ninth grade grammar uh, a little bit. So, so bear with me, there's a little bit of a grammar lesson <laughs> here. Um, but the first thing that we see is Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices. She's speaking in the present tense here. She's speaking about what God is doing in her life right now. But then she just, she sort of shifts things, doesn't she? She says, he's looked on the humble estate of his servant. And then she says, for behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. She's speaking in a sense of God's doing a work in my life right now. He has done a work in my life and he's going to continue to do his work. He's going to continue to do those things. And... You know, if we're looking at this, looking at this closer like this, there's something that, that we're kind of called to, to recognize here. And, uh, you know, that's that we need to pay attention to what these verb tenses are doing. Because what they're doing is they're revealing to us something about who God is. God is blessing Mary in the present. But, the, but His blessing has been in the past. And it's a sustaining blessing. That second one there, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, the, the thrust of that word rejoice there is something that has happened in the past, but it's continuing on in the future. It's continuing to go on. So it's something that God has done once, but it's a continual thing. So, so Mary's capturing a whole host of things here. And she's speaking of, of a God whose promises are so true that we've seen it happen in the past, it's happening now, and we can bank on them happening in the future. And she's acknowledging that that future hope has actually begun right now. When she says, <clears throat> when she says that, that, that from now on all generations will call me blessed, she's recognizing that this future hope is beginning right now. It's happening in her right now. And it's happening because she is bearing Jesus Christ. She's bearing the Messiah, the one who has come to deliver his people from sin and bondage and and death. And God has chosen her to do this. And she recognizes that, and she gives praise to the Lord. And can you really think, can you think of anything in this life that is, that's as sure as what Mary seems to be claiming here? Like Mary, Mary, Mary's proclamation here, what she's claiming is a pretty big deal. I don't know that I can think of, of anything that is so sure uh, of what Mary's claiming right here. Uh, I can think of something that, that, that maybe kind of correlates to it a little bit. And again, uh, it has to do with, with children, and in particular my children. 
um, which if you hear me preach, you'll hear a lot about my children. But there, there are some things that my children do that uh, they've done them in the past, and they currently do them right now. And I can pretty much bank on in the future they're going to do those things as well, too. And one of those things are my children's sleep habits. Uh, in particular, my son, Judah. Judah's a pretty good napper if you, if you stay around the house. If you don't really go anywhere or anything like that, he'll take a good morning nap and he'll take a good afternoon nap as well, too. But if you go out and you start running some errands and things like that, you've got to keep a close eye on him. Because if he falls asleep in the car, there is no hope of transition into the house when it comes time, time for, for the nap. And so he could lose the nap altogether. And I've seen this happen multiple times in the past. And it even happened yesterday. Carrie and I went up to the Apple Festival in Hendersonville. And, uh, and he fell asleep on the way back. And we tried to get him out and transition him into, into his bed and to no avail. He was awake and you can forget it. It's... It's a, it's a lost cause at that point in the game. Um, so we spend a lot of time you know, trying to keep him awake in, in the car so that that doesn't happen. Um, but that's, you know, it's, it's certainly not to the extent of what Mary's talking about here, but that's something in my life that I can kind of think of. I can kind of bank on Judah. If he falls asleep in the car, he is not going to transition into a nap in the house. He's going to be wide awake. Well, the, this passage kind of fleshes this idea out even more, where in verse 49, Mary makes this statement, For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. She's actually drawing upon some passages out of Deuteronomy. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 10 and Deuteronomy chapter 34, where in Deuteronomy chapter 10, Moses, he references God's deliverance for the people of Israel in the Exodus. Mary recognizes that the same God that brought the people out of Egypt is the one who has worked in her at this time and that God will bring to fruition the very things that seem impossible. Because if you think about, if you think about the people of Israel in the Exodus, there's some pretty crazy things that happen there. I mean, God, he sends all these plagues on the Egyptians and then he brings them out of Egypt and he, and he literally parts the sea. He moves the waters to the side and there's dry ground below and the people of Israel walk through it. And then he gives them food from heaven. He gives them water from a rock. There's some pretty impossible seeming things that happen there. But what's so impossible about Mary's case here? Well, she's a virgin. How is she to have conceived a child? She is in this poor estate. She's a young woman and she doesn't have a whole lot of money. How is she to be the bearer of the Son of God? How is she to be the bearer of the Messiah? And she accepts it. She says, the Lord's promised this, and I believe it. See, God's a God who does things which are seemingly impossible. And in the life of Mary, she bore a child while she was still a virgin. And we must recognize the magnificence of the child that she bears. It is the Son of God. It's Jesus Christ the one who comes and does the impossible. He comes and he takes sin on our behalf. And he becomes sin for us, even though he knew no sin. That's seemingly impossible, but Christ does that. And he raises from the dead. He defeats death and he's vindicated for the perfect life that he lived. That's the impossible in this context. 
That's the promise that's being given to Mary here and to all of those who believe. And, you know, if you're here and that's not something that you, that, that you really buy into um, personally, uh, I, I would want to challenge you. Um, that's a very hopeful thing that, that God would make us right with him. That's a very hopeful thing. Do you have anything in your life that is that hopeful? Christ is, is, is very hopeful, and it challenges us to consider what we, what we have in our own lives, what we believe. Is there really truly hope there, the hope that's offered in Christ and that you can't receive anywhere else? But Mary recognizes something else too. It's not as though that God just blesses her as an individual. She also recognizes that she is a part of a larger whole, which includes those who fear God. So she praises God for what he's done for those who fear him in verses 50 through 53. And she says, and his mercy is for those who fear him. Starts off with that. From generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Notice the very first thing that she says after, after verse 49 where she proclaims, holy is his name. Verse 50, and his mercy is for those who fear him. But what does it mean for something to be Holy. But something's, if, the, if something's holy, it, it essentially means that it's, it's set apart from, from everything else. And she's speaking about uh, God who is set apart from everything else. And she's speaking about a God who has a history. Not just right in the here and now, but a God who has historically been this way. But see, God's holiness is never left unto itself. It's always manifested in something. And she follows that with... His mercy. God manifests the reality that He is holy by being a merciful God. His mercy flows from His holiness. And she continues to, to manifest this in verse 51. As we follow along, she chooses to show how awesome God is through His action. And the language that she uses, uh, it's kind of, she uses an arm that. She uses, she uses language that you and I can identify with, that God's actions occur through his arms. God is a God who acts. God is a God who has stepped into history, and he has done things. And he's done those things for those who have feared him. And he's doing those things right now in, in her own life. And so he shows himself with his arm. And what does he do with his arm? He scatters the proud. He brings down the mighty from their thrones. He's sent away the rich empty. But he's also exalted the humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things as well too. And this portion of, of her song is almost, it's, it's almost kind of like prophetic in nature. That she is, she is speaking of something that is even much greater and grander that's, that's off there in the distance. That yes, Jesus is, is coming and going to come through her, the Messiah. But there's this great, great thing that is going to happen. 
in which the humble of estate will be exalted. And God will fill the hungry with good things. But it's all still wrought with the same stuff in, in, in the first three verses, in, in 46 through, through 49. This, this idea of God is a God who's worked in the past, and He's working now, and He does works in such a way that they're sustained on into the future as well, too, and that He plans on working in the future as well. God is known through His actions. That's the difference between the God of the Bible and every other God that we hear about. The God of the Bible is the one who's decided to act in history. The one who has decided to come and be a part of, the, uh, of what he has created. And he does that through Jesus. And that's the promise that we're receiving here. But as Christians, this is also how we're known too. We're known by how we act. We're known by our actions. We're never just known by who we say we are or what we say we are. We're known by what we do. In God's case, Mary says that he proves that he is holy by being merciful because he is a merciful God. If you're here and and you're a Christian, what do your actions say about you? You see, we're not called to just say that we're Christians. We're called to manifest that through our actions, through the things that we do. Are you here and maybe, maybe you're in a place of authority where you work. Maybe you have a, a, a lot of folks um, who you manage and things like that. What would those people say about how you are as a person? Would they say, oh, you know, that, that so-and-so, I really like to work for him because he's, he's really good to me. He's gracious. He gives me freedom to do my job. Um, and he's just a good person to work for. Or would they say, man, I really hate working for that guy or that gal. I just really don't like it. They, they have a little bit of authority and they just decide to kind of lord it over me. And I always feel like I'm kind of pinned in this corner. What would those people say about you? Maybe you're here and you're the one who's working and you have a boss who's over you. What would your supervisor say about you? Would he or she say, wow, that person is, I mean, they're a really hard worker and they're pleasant to work with and they try really hard and I really appreciate them and they're, they're an honest individual. Or would they say, nah, that person's just lazy. They got a bad attitude all the time. And, you know, I mean, if it wasn't such a hassle to replace them, uh, then, it, then, then I probably would. We see in Mary's proclamation that God manifests himself to us through his actions toward us. And that's how we as God's people will show others the love of God too. So we're called to love things like mercy and justice. We're called to be gracious toward one another. And we're called to be gracious towards those outside of the household of faith as well too. So Mary goes on. And she continues to identify herself with a multitude of people, not just as an individual. And in the the last couple of verses of her song here, she says, He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. That word again. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring 
forever. You see, Mary recognizes that God's love towards those who fear Him is manifested in the love that He's shown His covenant people. In the promises that He's given the people of Israel, the promises that He's given the people of God. You see, God's love was never meant to just be for Israel. It was never meant to be that way. Yeah, at first glance, you might look at this. I know I at first glance sort of looked at this and saw as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. I was like, well, what's Abraham doing in here? It's the only person that Mary actually names in her song. So what, what is Abraham doing here? Well, in order to figure out what Abraham is doing, doing here, it sent me to kind of look back at Abraham's story. And I want to read a piece of scripture out of Genesis chapter 12. So we're talking you know, way long ago here. In Mary's context, and certainly way long ago for us. Um, But Genesis chapter 12, this is the call of Abraham. This is where God calls Abraham. And this is what God says to him. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. From the very beginning, it was God's intention that all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. Why does Mary bring in Abraham here? Because the one who's coming through her is the fulfillment of that promise that God made to Abraham way, way, way long ago. And in 54, we see that word repeated again of mercy. Again, signifying that God is known through His mercy for for how He's shown His mercy through Mary, through those who fear Him, and those who will fear Him. And He's made Himself known through the mercy that He showed Israel as well too. God's faithful to His promises. Even when His people are not faithful to Him, and that's what this, this, this hymn, this song is ultimately showing. Because if you look back at the story of Israel, there's very few times when, when they actually sort of get it. Most of the time, they don't seem to get it. They don't seem to understand Genesis 12. They don't seem to understand that God's purpose for them as a people is to be a blessing to the nations. They don't seem to get the full force of what God has promised. But here, in this passage, we see that even though God's covenant people didn't live up to the calling that they were called to, there is a true Israelite coming who will do all of those things, and it's the Messiah. It's God Himself in the flesh. And there's one coming that will fulfill Genesis 12. Hence the reference all the way back to Abraham. And that is the offspring of Mary, the Lord Jesus Christ, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. There's one coming who really gets the full extent of what God's promises were long, long, long ago. And what God's promises are to us today and his promises for the future. 
So the question that we're posed with here is, do we really live in light of the promises of God? You see, there's a very real sense in which this is kind of the beginning. Right here, Mary's song, this is kind of the beginning of something that is so grand that's happening, so cosmic that's, that's happening, that this baby who's going to come through her is doing. But this song has an ultimate end inside as well, too. See, because this one who's coming through her, he's coming to defeat sin and death and to become sin for his people. But he's, he, he's not just leaving it there. He resurrects from the dead. He ascends to the Father and he promises, promises that he's coming back. He promises that he's coming back to make all things right. But that's the difficulty of living in light of the promises of God in light of the promises that we see presented in this text here for us today. We're not yet there yet, are we? We're not to the point where all things have been made right. And it's difficult to live in light of the promises of God when we do still struggle with things, when we struggle with, with, with sin, when we struggle with doing our job to the glory of God, when we struggle with being good managers and good to the people that work under us and gracious towards them and loving towards them. It's difficult to be in school where everything and everybody around you is telling you that you should, you should be somebody that you're not. And, and at the heart of that, what it's saying is you should be someone that God has not called you to be. You should be someone who doesn't really believe in the promises of God. We still live in a world that's full of sickness and hurt and pain, suffering and, witness, and wickedness. But God's word promises that there will be a day when all of these, these things will be no more. Are we loving and merciful and gracious toward people? Or do we really not believe that the promises of God are going to come to fruition? Do we really not live in light of that reality? Do we try to take advantage of others and not show them love and mercy and grace. The love and mercy and grace has been shown to us through Jesus. You know, every once in a while, I, I get a little glimpse, a little taste of the, the promises of God, of the promises of God that have yet to come to fruition. Oftentimes, it happens in a context like this when we're in corporate worship with one another where we've been called into community with one another. You, you get a taste, you get a glimpse of the praises that we will do in the new heavens and the new earth. The praises that we will sing to God in the new heavens and the new earth. If we've truly tasted of the goodness of God and see the truth that His Word promises, it promises a kingdom in which there is no more sin and death, hurt and pain and suffering, then maybe our lives would reflect it a little bit more. I know I struggle with that. My life doesn't exactly reflect that I believe in the promises that God has promised us. And I'm constantly and continually called back to believing in that. And most often I'm called back to believing in that through other believers, through other people. Again, God has not called us to do this thing all our own. He's called us into community with one another to work through those things, to encourage each other, to, 
tell each other of the promises that God has given us. You're not left alone. And if you feel like you're alone, come be a part of this. Be a part of what's going on here. We want to be able to be there for one another. We're not perfect people. We're going to sin. We're going to mess up. We're going to struggle. But the beauty of what this passage tells us is that there's one who's taken that on himself. The promise of God is that Jesus has come. And he has taken sin. He has taken our sin. And we can trust in him. And we can trust in his finished work. God's promises are so sure and so true that we can bank on them, even though they maybe haven't even happened yet. Maybe our lives would reflect more the reality of what God has done in our lives and then others will want to see that and be a part of that if we really, in our actions, show that we believe in the promises of God. And this is the promise from God and from His Word. In Revelation chapter 21, getting towards the end of things, and this is something that has yet to happen, but this is something that we should long for. This is a promise that God gives us that we should truly and really believe in and we should be a part of those who would witness to the truth of this promise. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. This is a promise. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your promises. We thank you that your promises are so sure and so true that we can bank on them. Lord, I pray that we would really and truly believe in the promises that you have given us. Lord, we would take hold of the reality reality that, that Jesus has come and your kingdom has been inaugurated. Lord, and you promise that, that you've not left us in a world that is dying and decaying, Lord, but that you will send Jesus back and he will make all things right. Lord, help us to take hold of that promise. Lord, help us to really and truly believe that promise and to live in light of the reality of that promise. We pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen.